Booker Tov. Today's stuff is Pei Bet, 82. We pick up in the bottom of Pei from the bed, and we're in the middle of the ten takanot that Yehoshua made with B'nai Yisrael when they entered into the land, basically something that m- demanded a certain compromise of personal property rights uh, for the sake of the benefit of the larger uh, community. And the last one is about ten lines before the lines get uh, the widest by the Chudas, Umes Mitzvah. Okay, Umes Mitzvah Kona Mikomo, wherever you find a dead body, you can bury it in that place. Um, and the, if it's, there's no obvious family that it belongs to, so the Gemara says, "Varmini, I'll ask you on this." If you excuse me, if you find a dead body lying lying in the middle of like a Isratia, uh, Isratia is, a, is a, a Greek word and it means like a major road. Um, you don't bury him right in the middle of the road itself. You you uh, move him to the right or to the left. You bury him in some field nearby. If you have to choose between a um, a, a vacant lot and a plowed lot, and near is like plowed, but nothing is growing there, uh, but you know, be turned over the dirt. You bring it to a vacant lot, an unplowed lot, right? Because better to create the least amount of damage uh, possible. If it's between a plowed but unplanted lot and a planted uh, field and a planted field, you do it to the plowed field. Um, plowed, like, you know, the dirt is turned over. If they were all, if both the right and the left were the same choice, you were the both types, the same types of fields, whichever one you choose. There's no rule. Um, hopefully you'll make some choice which is guided by some logical principle. Um, so anyway, how do you deal with this here? It says you don't bury him straight in the, where you found him. But of course the obvious answer is that here we're not talking, we're talking about a special case, that he's right there in the middle of a major thoroughfare. Um, and the problem is, is that even if you could, you know, put, you know, halt traffic for a while to bury him, everybody who's going to go over the thoroughfare is going to become tame, is going to become impure. Right? So that's the obvious answer. Amr Avibi Bimutal Alhametzar. He is, the way Raj explains is that he's lying across, from one edge to the next of the road, from boundary to boundary. So, and once you have to move him anyway, because there's no way you're going to bury him in the middle of the road, then you make some type of a choice. And if they're equal choices, then you do the one that makes the most sense. Okay, so that's the list of the ten. Now the Gemara says, Amri, look, if you take a look at it, the Gemara says, Asara, you, how can you say they're ten? Amhani Chatsri Havian. These are, they're, they're eleven. Asara, uh, so, so if you counted them, I wasn't counting, but if you count them, there's eleven, not ten. So the Gemara says, no. Mahalachim b'shvile havashus, cutting through somebody's like field when it's uh, not being planted, you know, when, at a time when it doesn't matter because nothing is growing there. Um, so that, Shlomo, Shlomo Amra, that's really not one of the Takas of Yehoshua, that's really based on a principle we learned from Shlomo. So it doesn't really count as one. Of, as one of, as one. So without that, there are ten. Kidatina, like we taught, taught in the Somebody's fruit is no longer growing in the field. It's all been harvested. And the new stuff has not yet started growing. And he doesn't care. He's standing on his property rights. And he doesn't let people cut through his field. So what will people say about him? What benefit does he have keeping people out of his field? What are people? How are people hurting him? Why, you know, what a stingy, whatever, just, you know, person, what, what does it do for him that he's not letting us cross his field? 
child. Okay, so it's basically like a classic definition of you know uh, we could benefit. It's not hurting you. What are you doing? Like not letting people go through. So technically, you're not doing anything illegal, but it's obviously you know improper and immoral. So the Gemara says, um, regarding him, the verse says, uh, you know, from being uh, if you have a choice to be good, why should you be bad? Don't be called evil. So the Gemara says, what do you mean? As the verse says, it doesn't. There's no verse that says this. Now, I didn't check Steinzaltz, but I'm willing to bet you dollars to donuts that this is uh, that this is a verse from a Ben Sira. The Gemara a number of times quotes Ben Sira, which is one of the apocrypha, and says, "As it is written," even though you're not supposed to actually even be learning the apocrypha. The Gemara knew Ben Sira pretty well. So anyway, that's my guess. But the Gemara says, "No, that's not a pasuk." So the Gemara says, "Inkseed, yes, but it's based on a pasuk because there's a pasuk that says." just like this do not hold back good from its owners like do not you know you know not do good to somebody you know when you're able to um, or maybe it means don't actually show gratitude when there's you have the ability in your hand when you're able to lasso to do it so therefore you can help somebody help them if it, certainly if it doesn't hurt you alright anyway so that we're not going to count that because that's based on shlo, on a Pusken Shlomo uh, in, in Mishlei so the Mishlei says what there's no more than these 1011 the haika here some others the rebihuda what rebihuda teaches tiny rebihuda omer but valim when you're taking out when it's time to sort of take out the uh, dung um uh, you have a right to bring it out to the public domain but sober you could pile it up there for 30 days so that it should be sort of like stepped on by people and I don't know somehow that improves the dung I don't exactly get it maybe it's not dung maybe it means like refuse and as people are walking on it anyway it turns it into more usable fertilizer, okay, and that was the stipulation when they entered into the land that people would have a right to do that, to bring the stuff and to put it in the public domain, because um, that's something that everybody has a use for. Um, so the Gemara says, and there's another one, that's the uh, condition of Yoshua. He's out tonight, tonight based in who, it's a condition of, of, the, of the court, Let's say my bees have swarmed onto your into your property, and they've all hovering around a branch. So the only way I can effectively bring that swarm of bees back to my uh, yard is by cutting off that branch and bringing it with me, and then they'll follow. They'll stay around the branch. So I have a right to do that. You can't say no, no, no. It's my branch. You can't do it. I have a right to do that. Maybe I'll pay you for the branch, but I have a right to do it. Okay. The nothing loaded my shogun. You pay him for the branch. Shochavero. For tonight, basin. It's a condition of the court. Who sheizeh shovich yeno matil dov shono shochavero. The notes of the me yono matil dov shono. I can spill my wine in order to save your honey. If I see your barrel of honey is breaking, and but you'll have to pay me back for my wine. Okay, you can't say I didn't ask you to spill your wine. Okay. For tonight, basin. It's a condition of the court. Let's say I'm going with my donkey and I'm carrying firewood, and I see that you, your donkey, is uh, has I don't know whatever has broken its leg, and you have this flax which is very expensive, and it's all going to get damaged. I can take out my firewood off my donkey, load my donkey up with your flax, and you'll have to pay me back for my firewood. Okay. And I can make you pay for it. Now, for us, we would see like, why do you need side basin? That's a logical thing, you know. I mean, it's a it's expenses, but we didn't make explicit deal and stipulation. I just did it, and therefore, you know, you have to pay me back for my expenses. Tosus, by the way, is bothered with this 
because if you might remember there's another Gemara that says that when I spill my wine to save your honey you only have to pay me my fee you don't have to actually pay for the loss of the honey so Tosus basically says that in this case you the guy whose honey is, is being lost actually are the one that you jump up and you spill out my wine or you force me to spill out my wine in that case you have to pay me for my wine uh, anyway that was a condition so the Gemara says ah you see that there are others than just the ones we listed so the says we're not dealing with things that are taught in the name of individual opinions we're dealing with something that is taught unanimously does that mean that other people disagree with this or does it just mean that it's not being taught unanimously that's not so clear Okay, so top of Tei Beda Medalef. Zaha, Kiyasa Ravi, Namar Abiyochan, when Ravi came, he sent the name of Abiyochanan. Echad Ilan, Hanotel, Toch, Sdei, Chavera. Echad Ilan, Hamesa, Hasamuch, Lemeitzar, Medi, Dekoresh. Amanaz, Kein, Hinche, Yoshul, Yisrael, Saaret. So, he teaches the following Breitah. It's not that he says, you know, like, uh, he, well, he says in the name of Abiyochanan, excuse me, not a Breitah, he says in the name of Abiyochanan, that if you have a tree that is inclining over, you know, somebody else's field or it's near a boundary line that you bring Bikurim from the tree. Now the question is, of course, the tree, if the tree's in your yard, why wouldn't you bring Bikurim from the tree? So the answer is because there's another opinion in the Gemara that says you, since you don't have a right to have your tree right there because, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're, you know, you're shading, you're damaging my field. It's hanging over my field. You should have to cut it or whatever. So therefore, you're essentially, your tree, even though it's planted in your property, is illegitimately planted because of the impact it's having on my property. So there's a position in the Gemara that you're not allowed to bring Bikurim from it because it shouldn't be there in the first place. And Rabbi Yochanan says, nope, Yeshua said one of the conditions of Yeshua is you're allowed to bring it. Okay? And therefore, um, and Raj, I'm sorry, Rashi says it's, this is a Brita, and therefore it's a Brita, and it's a Brita being taught unanimously. I mean, it's quoted by Rabbi Yochanan, but presumably it's a unanimous Brita. So why isn't this listed in the list of the ten that we taught earlier? So the Gemara says, Elamantan Asara, Tanayim Kishin Yeshua, to find the Gemara says. So the original teaching of the ten conditions of Yoshua is not a Brita. That actually is the opinion of an Amora. That's Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, ben Levi who. That was just in the name of Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. So sure, there are others that say that there are more, or there are different Tanaim. It's not, that's not some unanimous Brita. That's an, a, partic- a particular opinion that those were the ten conditions. Rav Gavir mi Beikasil Masin Lebehed, Rav Gavir from Beikasil teaches explicitly. Rav Tanchem Rav Beir's Amri, Rav Tanchem the following quote, Rav Tanchem and Rav Beir say, Mishum Zam became an Echad in the name of an elder, Umanu, who is that elder, Rav Yishua ben Levi. And what does Rav Yishua ben Levi say? Asara Tanayim Hisna Yoshua, ten conditions. So it is not an anonymous Brayta, it's possible there are different, different opinions about that list, but that's his list. Okay, now the Gemara moves on from the ten conditions of Yoshua to a ten conditions in the time of Ezra. And Ezra was like in the second coming back into the land. Now what's interesting in terms of the shift of emphasis here is that the phrase by Yoshua is Hinchil Yehoshua et Aretz. He bequeathed them the land. And it was very much about ownership of the land, setting up Jewish society in the land, right, in the sense of like communal needs and, you know, individual rights and all of that. That was very much the theme there. Ezra, you know, he was more like the... Uh, 
the first rabbi, right? I mean, he was the one, you know, he was not the one that the, they were settling in the land because they had the political, they were given the right from Korosh, you know, from the, uh, you know, from the Persian king there. It was not like Ezra was the one who was determining their, like, political sense of, you know, of, of their, you know, of the structure and their ownership. He was the one that was, like, leading them religiously. So his takanot are going to be a very different type of a nature, much more of a religious nature. So let's... They have sovereignty Ezra. They do not have sovereignty. The first time they got some degree of sovereignty was at the time of the Hashmonaim. Until then, they were really under the control of whatever foreign government had owned, you know, had, was in control of the land of Israel. Joshua did. Exactly. So, yeah, it wasn't right, correct. I mean, the word sovereignty is a key word, correct. So, that's, that is a key difference here. Um, so, they're settling in the time of Ezra. You know, the Gemara before was presuming that the Takanos of Yoshua lasted through their day and age, and even maybe in Eretz, even Chutzlaret or in Bavel. But nevertheless, the sense of what type of leadership somebody is doing and, you know, the role someone is playing by Yoshua, it was like he was a king, as it were, almost a you know, political leader. It was about sovereignty. It was about setting up the polit- economic structure. Ezra, it's much more religious leadership. So let's take a look. Ezra. Ten Takanot Ezra established. Number one, you read Shabbos Mincha time. And you read the Torah on, you know, Mondays and Thursdays. Okay, so very much, if you there's a whole scene in, the, in Ezra where they have a public reading of the Torah. And they actually not only have a public reading, they have it in translation as well. You know, so it's a teaching of the Torah to the people. So that modeling, that idea of a regular reading and a learning of Torah. Okay, that's two. The Donim B'Sheni B'Chemishi. You set up courts on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, and you do laundry. Thursday is the laundry day. Get everybody ready for Shabbos. Okay, the Ochlim, and the purpose of that is that you know I mean the people if you have one day to do it everybody's going to do it on that day if there's one day designated so make sure everybody gets it done okay the Ochlin Shumberi Shabbat you eat bar, uh, garlic on, on Friday when a woman is going to be baking she should bake early in the morning you know bakers get up at 4am to bake um, we're going to see what all this is about a woman should wear a sinar which is some type of it seems like some type of an undergarment um, a you know a sinar that normally meant like an apron but some anyway uh, how do they translate it there Under, well it, the, the note says an undergarment yeah. yeah it's more literally an apron a woman should uh, comb her hair before she goes into the mikvah and that the uh, spice sellers and fragrance sellers should have a right to travel in the various towns and people can't pre- prevent them from coming into their town um, it's interesting it switches the language here he established immersion for a balkari for somebody a man who had a seminal emission so let's take a look where Gemara goes through this because of those people that sit in the Karen, Karon, what is the Karon? So Raji says, you know, I always thought it meant like the guys who hang out at the street corners and they're smoking and whatever, you know, the, the good-for-nothings, you know, so at least on Shabbos they have nowhere else to be, so they'll hear the reading of the Torah. But Raji actually gives a more positive emphasis to what Yoshe Kronos is. Raji says, Yoshe Kronos are B'nai Adam, says, I'm sorry, where's Raji? Um, uh, Yoshe Chanuyot, 
um, they're basically the storekeepers they don't have time even on Mondays and Thursdays Mondays and Thursdays the reason everybody's coming to hear the Torah is because it's a market day but who's, who's, in the, who's in the store the storekeepers they never have time to come to hear the reading of the Torah okay so for Rashi it's like it's not a bad thing but you know they're just, they don't have any time to do any, to, to, to do it okay so they're going to do it on Friday at Shabbos Mincha question is why do they not do it the next like why do you still need it Friday you know Sha- I mean Shabbos Mincha they're going to hear they're going to hear Shabbos the Torah reading what do you need in the afternoon but I guess the point is they have so little Torah during the week you give them another opportunity to be learning Torah okay maybe you also help give them some anticipation of the next Parsha for the coming week um okay um okay so on Tuesdays and on Mondays and Thursdays so he says Ezra Tikin was this Ezra establishment this was established much earlier at the time he's on the Brisa they went three days and they did not find water. Okay, and it says and the Torah says that God showed Moshe, uh, uh, you know, a, sta- a stick, and he threw it in the water, and it may sweeten the water, and there he made chokum shpat. All right, so what's going on here? So, so the Gemara says, Dorshe Rishumosam, those that interpret hints in the Psukim say the following: Torah means that they give a sort of a you know a midrashic read of the Psukim. Water means Torah. They didn't find Torah. They went three days, you know, as Marsha says, three days of the Chazaka. They were getting a little established in their non-engagement of Torah. So, Shinemar, Come all you thirsty, come to water. They went three days without Torah. They became weary. You know, what does it mean? They, they, their, their, their bodies were uh, empty of, uh, you know, of a spiritual sustenance. So that's why they started fetching and complaining. Okay? And the Barsha says, that's why the Torah says, Vayoreu Hashem eights. Like it's an eights chayim. Like that's the Barsha's brush of the rest of the Pesach. And that's why Shan Sam Lo Choku Mishpat. Like he made him a law. You know, anyway. The sense is that you have to have a regular learning of Torah. Only the Nevi'im Shebenayim, the prophets among them, which means Moshe and Aaron and Miriam, stood among them. Fatigmulem Shukaren B'Shabbos. That they should regularly read on Shabbos. Umafsikin, meaning Be'echad B'Shabbos. You take a break on Sunday, and then you read on Monday. You break on Tuesday and Wednesday. You read on Thursday. You break on Friday. Today, so at most is a two day, between a one, either a one or a two day gap between the readings. Never three days between readings. Today, you shouldn't go three days without Torah. So you see, it wasn't Ezra. It was established way back by, by the time of the, uh, where, you know, first thing they left Mitzrayim. So the Gemara says, no. Now, okay, Ezra expanded at the Kana. Originally, one person got an Ali and he read three Psukim. Or three people came up to the Torah and each one read a Pasuk for a total of three Psukim. Representing Koin Levi in Israel. Ezra came, three people should get a Liyot and they should read a total of ten Psukim. Opposite for ten people that are just uh, batlanim are sort of like are you know sitting uh, around doing nothing meaning the ten people that are regularly in the shul in order to be a regular presence and to make a minyan 
Okay, so, um, you know, that's like a minion man, basically. So, um, Rashi says, if you look at Rashi, Asar Batlanim, Rashi says, Bnei Adam Kshirim, Bteilimim Lachtam, they do nothing, they're good people, they're not like the Yosei Kronos, the opposite of the Yosei Kronos. They're standing around, but they're standing around to be available for religious purposes. That they were there to do anything of communal needs and to be present in the sheltering communion. So that's what he established. Now, according to that, it just means that he established to read more psukim. But it also seems that it's reflecting the idea of this of this institution of a sarabat lanim, right? And the whole idea that you would have a sense of like a minion. Like when they said, you know, I mean, it's, again, again, the Gemara is also, you know, did, was this really from the time of Moshe Rabbeinu? But within Chazal's, you know, understanding that this was a takana that went all the way back, did they imagine it? It sounds like they imagined it also with a formal thing of being called up to the Torah. One person, ex psukim, three people, three psukim, you know, but still one wonders, you know, if the Gemara is also indicating that by the time of Ezra it became more of a type of a synagogue experience with a sense of a minion with ten people, like it was more somehow ritualized, you know, and that's so the extra number of ten is not just more psukim, but reflecting more this minion and ritualized context. Okay, but anyway, those are two to connote about reading Torah, which clearly very much connect to Ezra. Tosus, by the way, asks a question and he says, why, you know, why Monday and Thursday? You could have made it Tuesday and Thursday. You could have made it Tuesday and Friday. You know, like it's like, you know, there are a couple of days you could have chosen. So Tosus quotes a Medrash that says that Moshe, when he went up to get the last Luchot, if he, the Medrash does the math and says he went up on a Thursday and he came down on a Monday. So those are days that are particularly times that are connecting up to the Torah. Eight Ratzon says Tosfos. Um, it's also why Tosfos says we have the minic to fast on, you know, they used to have fast days on Mondays and Thursdays because it's time that God is desirous of our prayers. Of course, you know, you don't really need that. Once people are getting together for reading the Torah on Mondays and Thursdays, if you're going to have fast days, you're going to do it on times when everybody's getting together to read the Torah. And that also ties into the next issue about the courts. You would have courts on Mondays and Thursdays because that's when people would be around because people would come to hear the Torah reading. You know, it's an interesting question of like the chicken and the egg, right? Did you have the courts on Mondays and Thursdays and that's why you established them as Torah reading days? Or did you have the Torah reading days and that's why they were court days? But anyway, you know, it's a nice way, right? You have these major days in which things get done that get people together, right? Maybe they both came at the same time. Hey, let's do Torah reading and court days and for one reason or another people will come for one they'll be there for the other one you know I think that that he he didn't formally establish the market but I think that that also arose from it if those are the days that people are all yeah yeah I mean it's true you could could speculate you don't know but you know it seems that these all sort of are going to coming hand in hand by the way Tosa does an interesting question Tosa says you know another place makes it sound that before Ezra based in sat every day so he says what was Ezra doing he was saying that they should sit less frequently so this as well maybe and before him they sat every day only in major centers and he established that they would sit on Mondays and Thursdays in all the villages in all the towns but it's also possible you know sometimes if something is actually less frequent it's actually more productive right you know because then everybody focuses their activities it's sort of like why don't you just do the laundry every day you know why don't you have any days for doing the laundry you know but if you have a focused day it gets it done and it gets people focused on it okay so that's uh, so there we go doing the laundry in order to honor Shabbat and they would eat uh, garlic on Erev Shabbos. Mishum Ona, 
for the purpose of the mitzvah of having uh, marital sex relations. So therefore, we're going to see in a minute that garlic is, maybe it doesn't want somebody to get too close to you, maybe you brush your teeth afterwards, but it's supposed to be good for the semen, okay? And therefore, it's assumption that that's when people are going to be having sex. Uh, because, Shana, the seed, where it says, Ashir Pirio Yitain Bito will give his fruit in the right time. From a review to Vitaim Rev Nachman, Vitaim Rev Khan, Vitaim Rev Yochanan, Zamashamish Mitatome, Shabbos Rev Shabbos. This is somebody that has sex on, uh, from Friday night to Friday night. Um, now, uh, the actual mitzvah owner, like a standard frequency, is once a week, but here the Gemara specifically focuses on the idea to do it on Friday night. Presumably, I mean, some people tie it in to the idea of owning Shabbos, um, or maybe that's a time when people are not distracted by other things, you know. Um, but also, um, it should be noted that, you know, there were sects, F E C T S, anyway, the, at that, at particularly in the Bay Cheney period, that said it's forbidden to have sex on Shabbos. You know, if it's a holy day, how could you do this most um, physical type of an experience, sens- you know, sensual type of an experience? It's supposed to be a spiritual and a religious day. So Chazal very much, I mean, it really sort of showed, you know, said, no, nope, you know, on Shabbos is a mitzvah to have physical pleasure, oneg Shabbos, sex, right? So it's like a really interesting question of like a religious mindset, like an anti-asceticism type of an approach. Um, okay, so the Gemara says, um, Five things are said about garlic. Masbia, it makes you feel faded. Umashkin, it makes you feel like warm inside. Umatil panim, gives you a nice glow. Umarda hazera, increases the semen. Vahore kinim, and destroys destroys any lice in your in your stomach, in okay, intestinal uh, bugs, uh, bacteria, I guess. I don't know. Um, and some say machnis ava akina. because it has all these other benefits. It just increases. The sense it makes you feel good all the all it makes you glow inside makes you love people have this love to get rid of this jealousy great thing garlic okay <laughs> just don't get too close to people brush your teeth garlic is one of those superfoods by the way it really is like I think you know what the uh, nutritionists say uh, a woman, if she's going to bake bread, to do it early in the morning. Because the poor people, they're going around. So people, if everybody's baking bread, you know, they'll have, and bread is obviously, you know, very, uh, you know, the, sort of the, what's it called, the, uh, the staple of life, or, uh, you know, the staff of life. So bre- the, the poor people will have, so, will have bread. She should wear some undergarment, type of an undergarment, because of modesty. She should uh, comb her hair before she goes to the mikvah. Now remember, we think of mikvah as only something that women do for nida. But in the time of Ezra, everybody would be going to the mikvah for any type of impurity because of all the, you know, the sacrifices and the taharos. So why does he only mention women? So the clear answer is, why do you think he only mentions women? What do you think, David? Have a thought? Because women have long hair. So that's why, since this basically was about getting knots out of hair and distangling hair, whatever, so, you know, it wasn't like, it wouldn't apply, like, if a man had long hair, a woman had short hair, it would apply to the person who had the long hair. But nevertheless, the basic takana was for about women because it was about combing your hair to get out any types of knots. So the Gemara says, Doraisihi, um, that's a biblical obligation, Jatanya, you have to, you know, bathe your, 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 your 
flesh with water. That's the verse that speaks about immersion, ritual immersion. It has to be your water, your flesh has to be directly in contact with the water. That's your flesh. Um, but it says at your your flesh, but it uses the extra word at as a tavulabasa, something that is connected to the flesh, which is what umayni you say are that your hair has to be directly in contact with the water. So of course you have to uh, comb out your hair to get out any types of things that might be in the way. That's a mitzvah. The Torah demands that that's what tzvila is. So the Torah says, no. Ami, you'll say, yune. Biblically, it's enough just to inspect your hair. I guess with your hands. Dilma mikter, maybe there's a knot. Inami mos, midi, or maybe something is, you know, some type of disgusting thing is in your hair. Mishum chatzitza. That that'll be, a ba- that'll be a, an obstruction and won't make a good, a, going to the mikvah good. And he said that's not enough to just run your fingers through your hair or do some type of a visual inspection. You actually have to comb your hair. Now, there's an interesting point that Tosis discusses, which is, you know, we have something that before women go to the mikvah, they do a whole process of, like, sitting in the bath and whatever and prepare, you know, and, and bathing their body and inspecting every part of their body and scrubbing themselves. So Tosis says that it seems from the Gemara, obviously, that that was, a, that was an ancient practice. Like, there's evidence in the Gemara that they were doing that, but that it does not seem that it was formally part of the Takana of Ezra. That the Takana of Ezra, because, you know, your body you could just inspect, right? And, you know, see if there's something. But the hair is harder. It gets knotted. It's harder to see and so on. So that the Takana of Ezra was really about the hair. The body was not a Takana, although that obviously practice of doing a bathing and an inspection of it came later. Even by the hair, the interesting question is, is it just combing or is it washing and combing? So there's some interesting questions around that. Okay, and the uh, fragrant sellers would, could go around into the villages. This is interesting because this is the one thing that doesn't sound so ritual related, but we'll see it sort of is. In order to sell women various, you know, uh, jewelry or, or, or fragrances, so that their hus- they should not be, fat and, uh, you know, be disgusting to their husbands, or their husbands should desire them. Um, so it's, a, it's very different than the property rights, the more sort of communal look is a more sort of private look you know but it's also I guess similar to the Tsinar issue before the, the Tsinar you know the, the modesty a concern sort of about family life the Tikin Tzvila Labalikirian and he said that, a, that somebody a man who had a seminal mission has to go to the mikvah so the Mishra that's biblical if a man has seminal mission he has to go to the mikvah in order to be pure so that's the Torah says that's what you need to do to be pure so the Mishra says no do it right so the true of the Kachim in the according to the Torah sure that you're impure and without going to the mikvah but what's the implications of being impure according to the Torah that you can't touch or eat truma or you can't touch or eat sacrifices so that of course that's true but what he did is he said that if, if he really wasn't attacking going to the mikvah what he really wasn't attacking was, was that if you're a balkari you can't learn Torah until you've gone to the mikvah you can't dive in until you've gone to the mikvah so you might know for example that some Hasidim have a practice of every morning going to the mikvah so where this comes from if you didn't know where it comes from I'm going to tell you now where this comes from is is because this Gemara you know it says you can't learn Torah you can't dive in without going to the mikvah so what do you do so I mean if, if, so anytime a man has had sex with his wife or has had a seminal emission he would have to go to the mikvah that morning of course what do you, then you go look in the morning and you see men going to the mikvah you know you start wondering what were they what, you know what were, you know, you, you, know you, you, you connect the dots so therefore it became the practice you just go to the mikvah every morning so nobody wonders what you were doing that night before right and because but you have to or else how are you supposed to you know daven how are you supposed to learn Torah so the thing is is that but 
So why doesn't everybody have to do that? So if you take a look at Tosfos, also you tikein afilu divei Torah. Tosfos says lo kaimalan hachi. We don't rule this way. Elokreb yudah ben beseira da'ama divei Torah ain mekabelin tumah. The words of Torah do not accept cannot become tamei. He basically overrode Ezra's takana, and that gets into this whole question though, because if Ezra makes a takana, who what some later Amora has the power to override this takana? But then it's also evident that people were not really able to keep by this takana, so it becomes a takana that most of the community couldn't abide by. But that led to interesting questions. So there are definitely some places that still kept to this takana, mm-hmm. and that's why you know this practice came up amongst some to go to the mikvah every single morning. Um, okay, so then the Gemara says. Um, uh, now we move on from Ezra to Yerushalayim. We're listing ten things, right? So this is those are takanot, and here are going to be more like laws. That uh, so a sarad varin nem Yerushalayim. Ten laws were said relating to Jerusalem. Einam bayis chalutpa. A house cannot become a Mitzorah house in Yerushalayim. And the Enamivia Egla Rufa, if there's a dead body, uh, a murdered victim outside of Yerushalayim, you do not bring a, 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 the Egla Rufa, you know, the, the, uh, hef, the, uh, the uh, calf that you break the neck um, for Yerushalayim. If, if the entire city worships a Vodazara, you do not wipe out the entire city. If he something, oh, I'm sorry, when I jumped ahead, Chalutpa was not the Tzarat. means that the house does not become um, a house of Tzarat in Yerushalayim. Enabayit Chalutpa means that somebody sells a house in Yerushalayim, so in all other walled cities, if it's not bought back within the year, it becomes permanently owned by the buyer. Um, whereas in Yerushalayim, you have the right to buy back the house, you know, until the Yovel. Okay, so that's what Enabayit Chalutpa means. Um, the ein motzin bagizizin vegezus terot. You do not have like uh, like beams, you know, coming out from the rooftops and balconies uh, protruding over the streets in Yerushalayim. The ein osin ba'ashpatot. You do not make garbage dumps in Yerushalayim. The ein osin ba'kivshonot. You do not make uh, places of kilns of like. Uh, Firing, um, you know, uh, pottery or whatever in Yerushalayim. The ain osim ba'gagot ganot This might be the most surprising one. You don't make like gardens and orchards in Yerushalayim. Chutz mi ganot vardin, except for uh, for for gardens of roses. Um, that that was the practice from the early times of the early prophets. I think there's a question whether vered really means a rose because the Pesukim Shirashirim, you know, show, um, you know, which is uh, which is what is it? Fisasav Shoshanim. His lips are like Shoshanim. For us, a Shoshan is a lily. Is, is, is a lily, right? Isn't what don't we say? A uh, I think that's how we translate Shoshan. Anyway, but it doesn't make sense. Your lips are like roses, not your lips are like lilies. So I think I'm not sure that Zered originally meant rose. How do they translate Zered there? What do they say? Rose gardens. Um, um, they say um, exception maintain the garden of roses. Roses, yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, was it? Oh, oh, it wasn't rose gardens in general. It was a name of a place. Garden, uh, it was the name of a garden. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Does that what this Rashi says? 
Kachshma. Yeah, I said Tzricha Liktores. Aha. Yeah, I guess Kachshma makes it sound like it's a name place. Aha. That's interesting. Okay. Anyway, Rashi says the reason was was that they needed it for the uh, for the for making of the incense. Okay. Um, the Ain the Godly Batanagolim. They would not. Ra- you don't raise chickens. The Ain Malini Batames. You do not let a dead body stay overnight. Normally, you know, there's an, there's a, a biblical prohibition to let, to let a body stay overnight. But if there's if it's needed for the honor of the dead body, you're allowed to do it. But in your Shrine, they would not. Um, Ainabite, now that actually still applies even till today. Um, Ainabite Chalutpa, a house does not become fully sold over to the buyer. The seller can always buy it back. And the house that's in a place that has a wall, it should be should transfer over fully to the buyer. To what it purchased for future generations. This is going to be the theme here. Jerusalem was not the, was a international city, or not of international, was a national city, okay? It was not the property of any one tribe. And therefore, now, normally there's a pasuk that makes it clear that a certain law applies to a city that is considered to be possessed by, you know, a particular tribe. But I don't exactly see the word they're darshaning it from here. Maybe the word Ludorota for future generations that suggests a sense of, like, permanent ownership, okay? Whereas Yerushalayim, fundamentally, you know, is a, um, is, is like an, is a national city. Um, and therefore, this law does not apply. The Eina Mivia Egla Rufa, you do not bring a, uh, uh, you know, if there's a dead body outside, a murder victim, you don't bring this a calf that you uh, break its neck. Dixiv. If you find a, uh, a, mur- a uh, what do you call it, a, uh, a corpse, a murder victim, on the, you know, uh, on the ground, uh, which Hashem has given you to inherit, meaning so it's Yushalayim, again, that's the word, God has given it to you for, to inherit. So that has a sense of that it's owned, you know, to be passed down by one tribe and by its owners, you know, by the people who own it to, like, you know, their, their descendants. And this remains, in some sense, again, you wonder, what does that mean? People didn't buy property, exactly how things worked. But nevertheless, conceptually, this isn't owned by anybody. And therefore, it's not that God has given you Livishta to inherit. All right. The Eonazis Yani Dachas, it does not become a city that would get uh, uh, totally burned down if, it the, if the people worship the Vadazara. To see Ircha, your city, you know, which has that, again, sense of being owned and possessed. It wasn't divided between the, amongst the tribes. The Eina, you know, it wasn't given over to any one tribe. The Eina Metame bin Ga'im, it doesn't become Tame if one of the houses gets Sara'at, like this uh, spot. I will give it in a house of the land that you have taken possession of. And again, this was not given over to any one tribe. The Ein Motzim Bazizim Gizus Tarot. So all those are more formal exceptions. Now we're going to hear some practical things. You don't have these protruding beams or balconies over the street. Because if a dead body, some dead thing on the street, right, a dead corpse, and then if you have a long balcony, it'll transfer it to people that are very distant from it. And in Yerushalayim, where all the sacrifices are, you do not want 
want to increase the amount of the spreading of the Tum'ah. There was actually a time of a, uh, like some uh, postkin wrote about the fact that in certain uh, towns there was a Jewish street and um, all the Jews lived on like this one street and there were these balconies that came out from, you know, that like, you know, if you imagine like a row of houses, right, it wasn't separate houses, it was like a big row, attached row of houses and these, bal- you know, balconies protruded. Anytime there was a dead body in any one house, the tumor would go into all the houses. It would spread under the balcony and then go into the windows. So, like, it was a whole big question about how to deal with those cases. Um, okay. So, um, okay. Um, and another practical thing. If you have protruding things in the street and your people are coming in and they're traveling, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of, uh, um, of, of uh, visitors that come to Shalayim, you know, for the regal and all of that. For the, so they'll be walking and they'll be banging their head or they'll be riding on horses and banging their heads on these protrusions. Okay, the Eno Ashpatot, you don't make uh, garbage dumps. Mishum, you just think maybe it's disgusting. You know, Yerushalayim is the, you know, the, this, uh, whatever, this international city, as we just said. But no, or national city. Mishum Shkatsin, because of, like, rodents, because the part is it attracts rodents, and rodents, dead rodents, are a source of tumor. Vein Osimba Kiv Shonot, you don't make these kilns, um, you know, these places for firing up a pottery. Mishum Kutza, because of the smoke, you know, and it's uh, bad air, you know, the air pollution. Vein Osimba Ganotu Pardesim, you do not make uh, gardens or orchards, that's the curious one. Mishum Sircha, because those things, you know, even though they might look beautiful, they give off a lot of stink. I think like an apple orchard in particular, have you ever been in an apple orchard? Apparently it's like a really bad smell. Anyway, um, and also maybe because of all the fertilizer it requires. Vein Megalim Batanagolim, you don't have chickens mishum kachim because the chickens go and they and, and they go and they move you know they 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 they, they peck around and they move little things and they'll bring like a little piece of bone and they'll put it on your you know and they'll uh, and they'll get your your trumo your sacrifices tamei the ain malini mate and you don't let a dead body sleep over gemara that's just a tradition we don't actually have a reason for it but you know obviously it must connect to the sense of the kedusha and the tara the purity of yerushalayim they should have just made it to kind of that you're not allowed to die in yerushalayim. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Now we move on. So that was a nice list of ten things. Uh, and now we go back to the Mishnah that speaks about things that you're not allowed to do in general. It started with an Eretz Yisrael for the sake of the Jewish community in Eretz Yisrael, but then it goes on in other types of things. Like it starts with raising, you know, uh, grazing animals, but then it moves on to other things. So let's now look. Um, so you can't raise grazing animals in, in the land of Israel but you can't raise pigs anywhere um, rabbis taught when there were the wars of the different families of the Hashmonayim and that one was laying siege to the other um, Horkinus was inside Yerushalayim and Aristobulus was on the outside laying siege to Yerushalayim and every day though you know everybody was uh, good from Jews even though they were at civil war so they would lower down from Yerushalayim a basket with dinari in it with these gold coins or um, Baha'i or silver coins and they would send up you know sheep to be used as the daily sacrifice there was one elder among them he knew Greek wisdom now, I never understood this because what he's about to say has nothing to do with Greeks but anyway he knew Greek wisdom he said to them 
As long as they are able to continue doing the divine sacrifice, God won't let them, you know, be uh, conquered by you. Again, like that's such a like Jewish religious type of a thing to be saying. I don't really understand the Chachma Yivani's point of this. Yeah, what does the note say? Um, it was a cryptic of this design which spoke by members of the royal household. Right. So deciphered by the masters. It was like a code, yeah. right. And yeah, so that's what the Gemara is going to say later. There was some type of a, you know, some type of like a coded language. But again, yeah, like it doesn't still fully explain it. Like, you know, why can't say, hey, we need to have a little private consultation, right? And the whole word Chachma Yivanis sounds like it's some, um, right, it's some like, it's some like field of, wi- uh, of, 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 of wisdom. It doesn't feel like it's just some um, coded speech. But yeah. The Greek, you know, the Hellenists, yeah. fighting. Yeah, but then, but that is not a Hellenistic type of a of a perspective on things. You know, as long as they're doing the worship, maybe it is. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the Greeks believed in their gods, and they believed, you know. So, I don't. I, I, there's something. I mean, I don't know enough. There's a lot of historical stuff about this, which you know, in you know, Josephus and else or whatever. I just don't know. I just, I you know, I. I'd have to chazer it. I don't know off the top of my head, but I don't know if specifically it was a, between the between the religious and the Hellenists. I think it was more just a power play, but I'm not sure. I don't remember. You might be right. Um, um, I mean, he said to them, "I'll take a look because maybe you're right. Maybe that would tie into the Chachma Yivanis." Yes, yeah. So let me, let me take a look about that. Amalem, he said to them, the next day, So they when they lowered down the dinari, the Hellenim chazir. They sent up not a sheep, but a, but a, but a, but, a, but a pig. Kivan Shigil Chatsi Achoma, he gets got to half the half the wall. Nazi Parnav Bechoma, the pig stuck its uh, claws into the wall. You know, because that's what Rashi says, that's what pigs do if you try to schlep them somewhere they don't want to go. Um, the entire land of Israel, which was assumed to be 400 parsings by 400 parsings, it shook, like by, you know, the, uh, the uh, not the heresy, what's the word, the blasphemy, as it were, you know, about the sac. Um, the sacrilege, that's the word. Okay, you know, here it is, like, you know, not only are you not sending up the sheep, you're doing this, this, this pig or whatever. Okay, but Osasham, at that time they said, Cursed be the person who raises pigs. Cursed be the person who teaches his son Greek wisdom. And it was at that time in Jewish history that the following Mishnah was taught. Ma said that there was a time, says this Mishnah in Menachos, Shabbat Omer they had to bring the Omer from a distant place, from the gardens of Tzrifin. And the Shelechem from this place, the valley of Ein Socher, because they were, not, they were not, since they were besieged, they did not have enough local wheat in order to bring these sacrifices. So anyway, that's like a side comment. Now Tosos asked an important question. Um, he asks a couple of questions. First, Tosos Lo Yigadu Chazirim says, He says, normally we have a principle that you are not allowed to have a business with non-kosher uh, food items. Um, meaning you can, if, if you're like going fishing and in your net you catch a, you know, some type of a, you know, lobsters by accident, but you were fishing for tuna, you can sell the lobsters. But you're not supposed to have a business in lobsters, in non-kosher food items. So how here, he says, 
Why do you? When it says you shouldn't raise pigs, it sounds like you know you're having a pig farm. You're doing this as a business. Why isn't that forbidden? So why did you need this special takana? And according to some, it might even be of based on a biblical verse. So Tosa says if it's only when you're doing it for food, like you're doing it as a, as, as a food item, but you could be raising chazirim, he says there could be other purposes apparently you could be doing them for their um, he says um, like for their for their hides and for their uh, for their uh, oil, uh, for their fat like you know, to use so but although to me it's like a little funny because it seems like, you know, you wouldn't raise there'd be a lot be wasted if you would just be interested in the hides and the fat of the pig, I mean I guess pig fat is definitely, has a lot of uses, but what are you going do, you know, I mean, that's lard, isn't lard pig fat? I think so. But anyway, but that's, anyway, that's Joseph's answer. The other answer would be that that's a, that, that, that's a rabbinic, a rabbinic law, and that law hadn't been passed yet. But nevertheless, it's still interesting, why did the Mishnah have to say it? Because by the time of the Mishnah, that law had already been in place, that you're not allowed to do focused business on, um, you know, with uh, non-kosher items. So, um, that's one question. Um, and then the other question Joseph has is that we already actually, in an earlier war, they had made a, they, they had, um, said that um, you know that you couldn't uh, at the time of the at the end of Bayis Rishon apparently according to one Gemara they said one minute no I'm sorry Bayis Shani excuse me Titus no no I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry no another one it's the reverse here this says that they had a curse from the time of this uh, the Chashmonayim to do Chachma Yivanis but another Gemara says that at the time of the wars of the Chor- of the destruction of the second base on Mikdash they made a prohibition to learn Chachma Yivanis so Tosa says what's the story so he says well here was just a curse. If you wanted to do it and get cursed, that was up to you. <laughs> but by the time of the of the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash, there it actually became a formal rabbinic, you know, prohibition. The point is, there seems to be a certain amount of redundancy and overlap in some of these issues. Okay, so now, um, so uh, we really are done. So we'll end here, I guess, and we will pick up with this tomorrow. Okay, maybe by then I'll have an answer to you about whether this was a war between Hellenists and uh, you know religionists. Okay. Very I mean, good. It is the two, but they're both, they're both Hashmanayim, so I don't know. Yeah, right. But you know, there were different parts of the Hashmanayim, so maybe you're right. So can you uh, go fishing with a worm? Sure. You're not doing business in selling worms. Right. You can't be in the business of uh, of selling fishing worms. Uh-huh. You can be in the business of selling fishing supplies, and if part of that means you have to stock your store with worms, but, you know, basically, right. Right, right. that's a different type of a story. Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're caught up. We are caught up. I'm going to close this in my range. Uh, sure, yeah. thanks.
doing? No, it's good. Yeah. Sure. I mean, the time is not. You don't have to do it at all. It's just a vestige. It's not. A, it's not real. Um, nobody did. It has no legal weight, and what it is is it's a it's a it's a financial commitment to make sure that you know you'll see that your kid gets to the chuppah, and if not, that you will be suffer certain financial penalties. I mean, right now the financial penalties are the down payment, are the uh, the positive they made with the caterer, but anyway. Um, but um, uh, so uh, I, you know, if the family wants to, I'm happy to do both parents. It never came up that they wanted to just do the mothers, or that that was a possibility, but there'd be no problem with doing that. Exactly. We type the not. Exactly. Yep. Yes. Okay, sure. Just out of curiosity, is it that you just want to create balance or that the fathers for some reason don't want to participate? ceremony that's also all about the women. Sounds lovely. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Very good. All right, Shkaya. Take care.
very weird those were the names they decided to mention explicitly in the article but anyway but if you look at the list yeah it was linked to in the article uh, oh I didn't see that it was a Jewish Week article I saw the article somewhere else I saw the article somewhere else I don't remember I didn't see it Right. 
Yeah, that weekend. Oh, wait a minute. That might be hard because that might be the weekend he's leaving to Israel. Um, I have to let me. I'll, I'll check with Zorak. It might be a very like you know. It might. It, it, it might be. I, he's leaving to Israel right around then, so it actually might be a little complicated. So let me check with Zorak. Okay. Yeah, sure. Right.
do, but, you know, what I get done before most people are up, it's like the Marines. I've already given the daf, I've uh, written a lot of, a lot of taira. Anyway, what can I do for you? <laughs> Uh, sure. Um, yep. Aha. Well, um, let me tell you the number I have. By the way, since I've, uh, I've done you another favor, haha, I sent somebody your way, a woman, um, who's having a lot of bleeding at intercourse there, I know, because she, like, she's just been married recently, and, uh, and like, and she's gone to a gynecologist, and the gynecologist said everything looks normal, so it's like, uh, anyway, so just expect a call like that. Um, the one I, number I have is 347-792-9365. Is that the one you had? Ah, uh, 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 oh, I see. Oh, restricted me. You didn't see the incoming number. Three four seven seven nine two nine three six five. Sure, be well. Sure. Thank you.
broken. How are you? It's been a while. Good thing here. Questions or you want to just do a walkthrough? 